Hello and welcome to the latest edition of How Might We? And today I'm joined by Jeff Hudson Sell. And the title of today's podcast is How Might We Improve Relationships with Trust? Jeff, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Great to be here with you, Scott, and to talk about one of probably the most, well, one of the biggest subjects of the era. My name is Jeff Hudson Sell. I'm a 30-year international C-suite executive and non-executive director. My company or our company, IBEM, helps businesses expand and grow, in particular tech-based businesses in phase growth and SMEs looking for, looking for growth scale and international development. Okay. So from your experience, and obviously trust is something you've just identified as one of the key things in our era as we go. And it's something that's quite close to my heart as well as how we build trust in with each other and our organizations. So do you want to just give an overview of it for us? Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think look, trust is not a new subject. And if we go back in history, in particular, looking at the work of Stephen Covey, and, you know, I don't know if, uh, if you have read his, his books, The Speed of Trust, number one, I think it's The Eighth Habit, and there was a third book he wrote. But again, his, his view on trust was, you know, it, you know, you've got to break down trust, effectively creating a genesis of trust. And, you know, I've written over the last sort of 10 years very much. Oh, very good. Awesome. Scott just showed that he does actually have a copy of the speed of trust. <laughs> but look, I like you've got to look, you've got to look at your character, the character of trust, you know, lots of people are talking now about integrity you know we talk about one of the main professors at duke's university in the united states wrote a blog recently around decency intelligence you know we we've been talking around purpose and what purpose really means and you know you know and covid's been a very good platform i think to to stage trust and why we need to care more why empathy has become a bigger subject, why CSR has become a lot bigger in organizational development and growth, because people's safety and health is at risk. And if you're leadership, you know, you've got to, there's a need for you to step up and address these issues. You know, again, there's no playbook for COVID, as you're very aware. There is, there is only defined outcomes you know i was appalled actually the fact that when ey did their survey of global companies on exactly how many companies executed a business response plan that's not a business continuity plan that's a business response plan the, their survey came out with only six percent which is epitome as far as i'm concerned particularly as a non-executive director serving boards you know th these are incredibly important things that need to be addressed you know we've got we've got you know we certainly have enough topics to, to talk about around risk management corporate governance risk governance etc but the business response plan affects the people so if there was a time that where you wanted to regain someone's trust this was definitely the period you know it's not just about communications it's their mental state their mental health it's listening to their anxieties their frustrations their worries their issues i'm, I'm very fortunate that 
the organizations that I represent and also our organization, we never furloughed anyone. However, you know, we did reset strategy and strategy alignment showed that in order to grow, you know, with strategy, we had to make certain changes, you know, from, from that point of view, integrity in, in everything you do or the decency and what you do and having the emotional intelligence to be able to embrace others, unite others and actually develop and grow your organization with openness and transparency from my own concern, is incredibly important. Integrity, you know, will, will get you to intention. And then you've got to have that trust capability. Now, very interesting enough, PwC have just hired their first CPO. That's Chief Purpose Officer. Now, I really like that because that's, in my opinion, a step forward. Purpose isn't to be dealt with by human resources. Purpose isn't to be dealt with with necessary by the board you need somebody that encapsulates the skills the vision the mission and the values more importantly the personality trait and how you are to behave and have a trust capability within the organization where there are true metrics now if you look at trust you start to break down what is the genesis of trust you get into things like you know incremental sorry increased value accelerated growth enhanced innovation improved collaboration, strong partnership, but more importantly, better execution and a heightened loyalty that you just cannot get without having that trust capability. So when I was at Metro Media Technologies back in the old days, and we were, we're in a company that was literally on the floor, I was hired as a CEO from New York to go into the European operation and really to, to re, re-swap the business, reorganize, restructure, and develop and grow the business. The first thing I looked at was refreshing the brand, aligning the values, um, the vision, the mission, and the values, and then relaunching that. And I remember the director of Portugal, Julio, saying to me, Jeff, you haven't just created a brand and something that we trust, you've created a new religion. And there was a higher... Um, engagement to emotional emotion around what we were doing we were able to take it from a product bias to a solution bias and we were i took that business in just over two years to 100 million plus from a very bad negativity and to profitability so we know it works okay so i quite like the genesis of trust and sort of the trust is I think just before we came online, one of the phrases you trust is the glue of all positive relationships. No question about the glue. Absolutely no question about the glue. So I don't know if you have read or studied Tom Peters. I, I, I like Tom. He's, I went to see him with his reimagined tour when I was in Moscow, funny enough, when I lived in Moscow. But he said something which always resonates with me. And he said, technique and technology are important, but adding trust is the decade, is the issue of the decade. And he's not far wrong. Because we, I think we've actually neglected people where in America they talk about the people asset or the people capital within the business. And people need to be in the center, right? You can have your technology place. Innovation is very important. We know, we know that from, you know, the last lockdown where Isaac Newton was, you know, 
in a Lincolnshire cottage in 1665, 1666. Yeah, he produced his best innovation and his best work ever. And this lockdown has produced an awful lot of innovation. But to get to execution, you've got to have technology has got to meet people. And more importantly, the people, well, we said earlier briefly around the knowledge piece and the learning piece. This is this is an era that I believe is all going to be about training. It's going to be about upskilling. It's going to be about opening your mind with creativity, more creativity and imagination. Yeah. You know, um, whilst we know from a short term perspective, we've had to use virtual and the video. You need to get into, in, into face-to-face meetings, even if it's a hybrid model that, you know, that, you know, that, that we're going to use moving forward because the difference in creativity is, as, as, as many research reports have shown, that, you know, if I go into a boardroom, I'm probably going to create 10, maybe 10 and a half ideas. But the difference with face-to-face and creativity and innovation is likely to, to go to something like 13 or 14 ideas and that's the difference in some uh, extent or some businesses between the difference between business success and business failure so we, we need to be very acutely aware that people and the importance of people and this goes back to what i said earlier about the care and the empathy that we sort of touched on which i think is incredibly important because without listening to our people without the care and attention and empathy and understanding their needs and understanding them as beings, then you have very, you have as leadership, you have no chance really of being able to take any business to purpose and trust, or in some instances, trying to re-engage and regaining trust, right? So I think, I think that bit is incredibly important and it, and communications is, is is your voice is the voice i mean if you look at you know talents you know the, the needs of talent the passion of talent and concerns of talent it is the voice and the philosophy and the communication piece at the center which is going to drive all of that and i think if especially we look at now and obviously we've a lot of companies or uh, moved or organizations have moved from working face to face to working remotely and i think that's put a different perspective on leadership where trust has definitely become much more central to leadership because there was in a lot of organizations this presenteeism this person's here so therefore they are working and i can see that and that's how i that's how i appreciate them or so I, I i recognize them through work and now you don't see people but you'll say so you say well how do i know they're working how do i know they're working so i think leadership has got to take a big role in saying it's got to demonstrate a new way of, of dealing with people to demonstrate they trust their people and it's a consistency in my view something we do we should be doing it's not about having a we're having a a, an initiative to build trust that's okay to build awareness but it's like consistency of how we do that yeah couldn't couldn't agree more i mean i like that word you use consistency look we all know i mean go back in history not too far away in history you can look at mckinsey reports where they went out to 14 and a half thousand businesses and they interviewed those CEOs of small, medium and large enterprise businesses. No big surprise that 84% came back and said, you know, we could not manage 
a change in direction, an increase in performance or, or a major uh, future event. Only 16% of the, of the 14,500 interviewed said that they could drive additional change. So that, that tells you you've got a problem in leadership. And, and leaders need this, this period has exposed, but it's also been a great time for learnings. And you only really learn in adversity. And, you know, you only really learn, you know, when, when something's wrong, because you know, your inner strength meets your external self. And you've got at that point, you've got to, well, you've got to know what your capabilities are. So I think that leaders and trust, yeah, big issue. We, we, we IBM, we commissioned a trust report last year through Datapad and, and we went out to several thousands of people. What was interesting, and I knew the results were pretty much before I had an idea what those results were going to be rather of that report before it came back. When it came back in February, it was just before, you know, the COVID hit in late March. It was interesting to see that 69% of the people surveyed in that interview said that they didn't trust their line manager and they didn't trust their chief executive officer. So that that that's not just a one-time UK thing. That's a global problem. And that's why trust is so important. And I go back to why the glue that we talked about, you know, is really what is required within the relationship because the relationship is key and, and the relationship we all have, it's not just in business, you know, the relationships that we have in government, the relationships that we actually have in business and the relationships actually we have at home. You know, we need glue, you know, being center to all of those areas. And because otherwise all you're going to do is breed discontent and, and discontent is probably going to mean failure. And, and, you know, trust is an outcome of behavior. You know, if you're in a negative environment, negative situation, tendency you'll be around negativity if you're in a positive environment with positive people only positive things will happen that's a mindset that's not a dream that is a mindset energy is transferred from face-to-face -face activity so i think that leaders with the right let's set of competence and the ability to be able to engage with trust within their organization need you know first and foremost needed to stabilize the ship right you know not think about the commercializations and the priorities there but they had to start stabilizing in the areas of you know listening communication skills empathy and you know trying to create a vision that unites everyone to share and work together to achieve that one over goal rather than me myself my world and that that's that's a massive challenge for many. I think partly is if you want, and it's just what you last picked on there about that vision and stuff and creating that shared vision. And it's interesting that I think, in my view, the best way to create the shared vision is to get everybody involved in the conversation about the vision. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where it's gone wrong in the past. Okay. You know, Top has created these great words, convoluted, you know, at C-suite, convoluted down at senior management level. And then, you know, at a very junior level, you're like, what are we doing? 
<laughs> yeah. So, but you're you're absolutely right. When I executed huge programs around the world, globally and internationally, you get everyone involved. You get, you even get, you know, I remember at Metro Media, we we even got the guys in the manufacturing. We stopped the machines, <laughs> right? And we got them on the shop floor. And it's the ability to be able to communicate. I mean, you know, you talked earlier about communications privately with me and, you know, Dr. Eric Byrne, The Games People Play, you know, it's a great book on transactional analysis, but you've got to be able to communicate at all levels. Otherwise, you just won't be heard. It's a bit like I've got a product going out to the channel and I don't create the right message to, to engage the minds of that target audience it's in exactly the same way. You've got to engage. And in order to do that, you've got to be able to communicate um, at all levels. I actually think this is a really positive thing if, if companies, boards and, and C-suite and senior managers engage in this because I think we're entering an age uh, or era of compassion i really do i think when and also well one of the other things about the compassion is i would i i would argue that we're obviously not obviously because that's means that everyone knows it i would argue that we're entering or are in an area of democratization yeah of things like democratization of ideas democratization of and it's engaging with the many to help create that shared vision those shared values that common understanding and create that future path that we want to go. Then everyone buys into it and people trust it because they've been involved in that process. I love what you've just said because it really does hit home within me in everything you said, Scott. I, I like it a lot and I think you're right. You're, you're on point completely. I think that leadership are used to accelerating super fast. And, and one of the reasons they've been used to doing that is because they haven't had these levels of responsibilities. They haven't had to listen. They haven't had to care and be more compassionate and empathetic. They haven't ha had to understand, you know, top to bottom and bottom down, you know, bottom up. So they haven't had those concerns because everything they've done has been based around short-termism and not on long-term planning and the foundations that makes long-term planning and execution to long-term planning with strategy alignment. Right. So this problem is now what they don't get in their minds is because they've been working too short termism, they cannot see the value of that long term plan. Right now, the Japanese are not stupid when they create 50 year plans, 100 year plans, 150 plans. Yes, I understand the frameworks is adaptable and changeable, but they still stay on vision. They still stay with that long term vision of what they're looking to achieve and over what period of time and mind you, and they're based on execution and outcomes now there was a very famous economist back in the 90s and it's a long time ago but he he did a worldwide he interviewed worldwide western companies versus eastern province companies and what he came out with the uk with and these were big automotive companies and big manufacturing companies is that the uk are very good at innovating they're very good at the ideas but they're not so good at doing the execution versus in Japan, they're actually very good at executing. So, you know, there's a shift there too, that if we can only move from this short-term mindset to a longer-term, you know, strategy with good, solid foundations, uh, skills, knowledge, competency, people, and the ability to execute, we're building 
better for the longer term. And we're not just looking at 90 days. I think it's the, I think the phrase is business ambiguity. Yeah. So it's the yeah. ability to look after today, but also to plan for tomorrow. So it's yeah. that sort of having. And, and I think that all companies should be looking. I mean, we had an IBM, one of our clients recently, we were talking about, you know, ex, we were executing actually short term, medium term and long term frameworks, you know, but, the, and then you can start addressing things like organizational resilience, you know, risk, managing risk within the business over a much longer period of time. You're also going to see if a longer term planning, where your flaws are and where and where your knowledge gaps are and where management support is required to go forward because right? everybody's had to reset through this period this has been you know from march 24th even to today it's still been a reset period for many and and they've had to reset in some cases board directors c-suite executives el executive leadership teams and people because one you know, that strategy no you know ex- expired very quickly and they realized that they had to now focus on you know tomorrow more than just today in the short term yeah and i was talking to elvin turner who wrote the book be less zombie and one he says that we're going to get these black swan events in the future they, they, they are they're inevitable that these things will happen that we might that we'll, we can't see coming over the hill and he says a lot of companies when this happens they go into the innovation cupboard and it's empty because we're not thinking that long-term future of having that innovation pipeline working all the way through. Look, it's really interesting. I had this conversation a short while ago. We were talking about digital transformation. I said, they really, they should change, change the name of that because it's not digital transformation. It's, it's continual <laughs> innovation, continual di- digital transformation. It's constant, isn't it? There is no project. There is projects. And innovation needs to be a constant. It needs to be, you know, driving. People need to drive innovation all the time. But it's not always about innovation. It's about the ability to adopt. It's the ability to actually execute. We're in an execution era. You know, how many times do you hear that word? Execute, execute, execute. You know, you hear that in the sport a lot. You see that in business a lot. Where we failed is having the right leadership, the right people, and the right ability to execute. So I think it goes back to, uh, we're, so we drifted slightly into innovation, but see, to me, innovation is a process and the product or the service we produce is the end of the innovation, the beginning yeah. of it is curiosity, and then comes ideas. So create yeah. curiosity where people are willing to look at what goes on, then engage the creativity. And then you go at the process of you saying about the execution, about does this work? Well, your engagement that you talked about earlier is the same with products. You know, you, you don't just say, right, I've designed something and the world's going to buy. You engage your people, uh, potential customers first mm-hmm. and do the research. You do the feedbacks. You do the product design. You, do the re- you constantly refine that. And then you release to, to your customers and the market. See, I think because obviously I come from an LND background, it's interesting that you've said things like learning is central to it. So the competencies and the yeah. skills you want, looking at the gaps and that constant, constant feed towards getting our long-term goals. And I think one of the things we can do is what can we learn from other areas of the organization? And a lot of what we've been talking about now, when you say listening to and understanding, it to me just screams of marketing. Yeah, Kendall, I think it's bigger. I think 
I think there is marketing, but you know, and I know that marketing don't exist without strategy. Okay, so top level strategy, marketing is an output from that. I actually think, and my my vision for this is that all businesses will have a central chief people officer, chief purpose officer within their organizations. But again, it's aligned completely to strategy so that the vision is very clear. I mean, I remember back in the day when, you know, the chief exec of AT&T would walk around in Baskin Ridge corporate offices and he would ask them, well, what's the vision of the business? And if they couldn't, I mean, he was quite aggressive, this guy, but, you know, if they couldn't say it, they were fired on the spot. Johnson & Johnson is another one where they lived and breathed the company uh, vision and the company mission okay and and i think we it's not just about words anymore this has got to be a living breathing you know statement which is really a big part of that is going to be the dna of the individual that works within that organization so i think that the purpose piece is going to become more of a day-to-day than we've ever seen it before i think people don't get me wrong that you know People are going to be centre, but people are going to be sharing more. They've got to share more, you know, within that environment. They've got to learn. They've got to upskill. There's going to be a lot more around knowledge management within organisations. And I think online learning is going to be a big piece of that in the hybrid model. You know, so when we come out of this, this we're not going to go back to the way we were. There's going to be a hybrid model. And But I think your, you know, chief development, you know, look, HR, HR has got a function, but I think it goes way beyond, way beyond human resource. And I think we're going into chief people officers, chief purpose officers, where, where you know, they're going to be making sure that the talent management piece is, on, is, is aligned completely to strategy. Well, I couldn't agree more. I, I think we should be, and the best way to get things out of people is to treat them like people. Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, Darwin was pretty on the money when, you know, he said it's not the strongest species that survive, but it's the one that's more adaptable to change. I mean, everything we see now is about adaptability, leadership, you know, flexibility, leadership. It's trust-based leadership. You know, and the more you share, the more you engage, the more that you're open and transparent, the more trust that you're going to regain within an organisation. I mean, I did some coaching uh, on a programme a couple of months ago and I just asked them one question I says what are you going to do today that demonstrates that you're trustworthy yeah love it just one no, I love it love it because to me if you actually look at the word trustworthy what makes you worthy of somebody's trust so instead of I, I think that's a good way of looking at it where the onus is on you to be perceived by somebody and I think the way I think it's Stephen Covey they've got to be happy to share something you with you that could hurt them so it's having that that level of you are and and what's really interesting in that situation is if you've ever looked at a business that has got low trust versus high trust and purpose the difference is huge you know i've i've had the fortunate experience of working with both and it's huge there is a massive paradigm between the individuals hired i mean there's 
one company I know in London, for instance, they have a hundred point map when they recruit somebody because they're looking for a certain set of characteristics that falls within their brand, which falls within their mission, which falls within a certain personality that they all want to be. Then they're not they're not reactive. They're all proactive. They're all about the relationship. They're all about blue. It doesn't matter whether you talk to the chief exec right the way down to the secretary, okay, or the receptionist. They are hired on the same basis. They have amazing ways of rewarding their people. It's not about me, myself, and my targets. It's about everybody shares within the objectives. Everyone is rewarded from the objectives and not on a certain set of individual criteria it's there's, they're open they're transparent they're about the truth they speak with the truth they deliver defined outcomes based on the truth it's a very interesting organization where if you've been in a low trust it's all about me myself my world what i'm gonna do it's <laughs> you know it's a very different scenario there's very little attention given to brand vision mission it's all about we just got to execute well you couldn't do that for so long but you know and i know the ROI piece with a, with a person, um, eventually burnout, frustration, resign is the answer, as opposed to looking at the ROO, which is the return on objectives, which then deals with the, the softer piece around what we've described earlier, and in particular, purpose and trust. I mean, I, you're kind of speaking to the converted ear about the, the value of trust in organisations. Just looking at and working, because I remember I, I used to work in the prison service, I remember one of the one of the establishments I worked in were trying to uh, introduce a, a new system of attendance system, which basically the staff chose when they worked. As yeah. long as they did the required hours over an average of whatever it was, four or six weeks, and there was enough staff on duty to fulfill the requirements. Because obviously, if you work on a landing, you work on it. So that's you could. It was multi-skilled. You, m- multiple people could cover the same role. Yeah. And there was another establishment not far away who had introduced this and they were working with it. So they brought me into a meeting with the staff and says, boom, 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 boom. This is what we're proposing. This is the unions in favor of it or the, the associations didn't have unions. This is some experiences from people who've been doing this for the last six months. They're getting an extra 40 days off work. They're fitting around their social time. They're doing this, doing this. And they said, no, we're not doing it. Point blank refused. And I was interested, I just spoke to them, but you've seen it work. I said, yeah, I just don't trust why they're doing it. I just don't trust the management here. You could tell me what you like, but I don't trust them. And I think that's just so interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, so you, you got it on that. I mean, I, I worked on a project. I worked on a project probably about 10, 12 years ago now. And the, the group I was working with had a spiritual intelligence uh, model, which they wanted to So no big surprise, they went into the Bank of England. And of course, they thought they were going to get laughed at and, and walked away. No, they didn't. They listened and they aligned some of the thinking around this model. But they showed an automatic increase in performance as a direct result of addressing the brand values. And more importantly, how that was communicated to the employees. And they then went on to places like HP with this. And I've still got the research on it. It's phenomenal. Now, I think what we've done is they've changed the the spiritual intelligence piece to really try and align values that are centre to people's internal self. Therefore, 
engaging with the overarching hierarchical and values within the business and looking at getting people more emotionally involved with the decision process. What I'm really talking about here, Scott, is inclusion, right? You, when you start to include people in the process, you're going to get more value. And more importantly, they're going to be more, more motivated and excited to be a part of something. Everybody wants to be a part of something, right? They want to know that they've got a home, home in business, home at home, you know, home wherever. And I think the inclusion piece that I'm talking about now, I think is incredibly important. In fact, for me, inclusion is kind of like the foundation of trust. Yeah, I can see that. And I think the important thing I think you said there that, was, that, that resonated with me is when you sat there and said where, you, where it's aligned from internal to external. Yes. I think all change is inside out. I agree. And I'm with you on organizations go the wrong way about doing change where they try to do it outside in and top down even when they get people involved but if we can say to people so what are your value sets how do they align with what we're trying to do as an organization how can you as an individual align what you want to achieve what's important to you what your value and your purpose is to what we're trying to do as an organization when you've been in organizations when leadership say you you are going to do this i will give you a horoscope reading if you do not do this is not the right answer, you know, dogmatic. I mean, how many times, you know, look, we understand leadership is under a lot of pressure, but there is a right way of doing things and there's a wrong way of doing things. There's also a choice as a person, as an individual, do I work with this company or do I not work with this company, right? So we, we are, I think we are coming into an era where that openness that I talk about, okay, is going to be, more very self-evident and i think that yes there's going to be i think the post-era pandemic working philosophy will be more openness more transparency flexibility you know you know do you want to work two days from uh, home or three days from home and two days in the office but you'll you will provide employee inclusion you will get more from your employees if you start to accommodate their wishes i don't think that 40 hour week working from the office i think it's expired it expired a long time ago not not just in the last 12 months it expired a long time ago people were looking for more flex the gig economy was all about flex right flexible working for for many so i think that in order to get this trust piece right i think organizations and leaders need to start assessing what is their current trust levels within their organization all right and, and understanding what they have at their disposal then they can understand what needs to be addressed but more importantly they've got to loosen the reins we've already got that with remote working but it, i think this is going to go further and i think that open communication is not for everyone there was a report i saw by raconteur in the sunday times recently which said a survey they did showed that the millennials particularly millennial sector and some of the and baby boomers were 56 percent wanting more introversy versus extroversy and they didn't see didn't want to change in that direction so i think that going back to flexible communication and, and open communication and the ability to communicate at all levels, I think is incredibly uh, important. Until you address those issues, you're not going to be able to create change in anything, whether it's transformational, whether it's structure change, whether it's changing people, and, and that will affect development and growth. 
you've got to invest in your employees. So by investing in things like knowledge, in, in, in upskilling, in new skills, and, and you're going to see, I think you're also going to see an awful lot of new titles that are going to pop up. We've already seen it with chief purpose officer. If I, if I had said to you, Scott, 10 years ago, hey, Scott, guess what? We're going to have chief purpose officers on the board. You've got, I don't think so, Jim. You're dreaming, right? That would have probably been a, a response from many. And boards would have said, what are you talking about? Today, we have a chief purpose officer at PwC on the board of directors, and they're being recruited amongst the many. And, okay, I know that's, you know, that's, that's enterprise or Fortune 100 companies, 250 companies, 500 companies. You're going to see an SME a, a change because if companies don't change, they probably will be forced under some kind of regulation or CSR policy moving forward at some point. It will happen. You know, you know, you know, we 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 abide in my company very strongly to CSR. You know, we have, you know, we are very involved with charities we're very involved in doing things with an outside curriculum not just this is a functional piece of work that needs to be executed we do more and i can see a lot more small businesses medium-sized businesses going going down that road as i said i believe we're in the age of compassion i really do i do and and you're going to find people want to work for companies that have trust versus distrust <laughs> they're not going to want to work in an organization because that change will, will start, you know, as you create that change, you create the, the, the working environment and the working energy. You know, I'm going to want to work for a positive company with positive people. I'm not interested in working with somebody who just screams at me all day. You know, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Now, I see private enterprise probably executing this quicker than the public sector. But I think it will, I, I think we're looking at a compassionate age that, everyone's going to be affected you know watch watch the next five to ten years i mean what you said about the trust and so i, I don't know anyone who would rather work somewhere where they didn't feel trusted as where they did feel trusted would you want to spend any length of time in an environment where you did not trust or did not feel trusted no i know you love what you you do i genuinely am very passionate about what we do and more importantly how we do it and who we do it with. And that is incredibly important. I spend an awful long time in my working week with, with work and my professional organizations. And I need to be working with positive people, like-minded people with the, with the right kind of mindset. And I, I'm sorry, but my life is just a little bit too short to be working in a distrusted environment. Sometimes we get parachuted in where we have to take you from a distrust to a trusted environment. And that takes an awful lot of work to, to change because that, you know, we, we get told to mediate, go in and make change. Uh, and fine, we, we will do that. But on a day-to-day -day basis, the people I work with, I can tell you now, I trust them implicitly. We have a great, not a good relationship, we have a great relationship. But then we have all of the things that I've already described. I always listen. We are completely empathetic. We care about one another. You know, we understand each other. And more importantly, we work within purpose and we work within trust. That that makes our organization the way it is. And, you know, I have great respect for everybody that I work with. And I think that 
is is incredibly important when we are sort of discussing the trust issue. And I think more companies, irrespective of how small you are or mid-size or how large you are, you have the ability to make a choice and to make a change. And I think this is this is coming. This is coming. I think a lot of things were, were changing. I think what COVID's done is accelerated that level of change. We were going digital. We were going more remote. We were going more flexible. We were going more purpose-driven. Because you can see, I think it was the CEO of, I think it was RBS. Yeah. Who said, it's going to take us a decade to rebuild, rebuild the trust because of the, the, the actions, the amount of lawsuits that have gone against them, the rules that they kept breaking, and about an example of unethical business running and, and the damage it did to a lot, a lot of people. And they're saying it's, take, it's going to take them 10 years to sort of rebuild that trust. And so, and they as a big organization can see the importance of trust in what they're trying to do and to, to move forward. And from where they were, which was much more about short-termism, making profit, yeah. stakeholders making sure that our uh, not stakeholders sorry our shareholders were paying dividends so i think that emphasis moving away from that short termism producing roi and the down to purely about the bottom line is is, is definitely shifting look you're seeing investors now shareholders or stakeholders ask significant questions which have really moved the the goalposts from short termism to no I'm not interested in exit strategy. I'm interested in longevity, pathway to profitability, pathway to expansion, and a longer-term plan. And that's 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 really gone through the investor marketplace at a great speed. I only seeing that continue. And then and investors are going to be asking you, what's your purpose strategy? What's your CSR practice strategy? What are your best practices around corporate governance? around risk governance, conduct risk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it will, there are ways of making this change, even if companies don't want to comply. And that requires, again, as I go back to, a different kind of leadership style. It means that leaders are going to have to step up to these changes. And, you know, they're going to have to be adaptable. They're going to have to be flexible to the needs of their stakeholders, their investors. I mean, look, Leaders have enough pressures, right? But they have to now start start breaking the boundaries. And if that means hiring more resources to deal with this professionally and properly and 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 being effective to the organization, that's exactly what they've got to do. There's two points I want to raise about that. First, we'll get talking to uh, Guy Arnold, who's done a lot of research in Gen Z. And yeah. his thing now is Gen Z, CSR for, for Gen Z is important to them. Yeah. social responsibility from organizations Absolutely. but not just as a tip box exercise and throwing a few thousand pounds at local charity doesn't cut it no no it doesn't no 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 i'm back to your living breathing within the organization your hope helping your yes. community in which you're in and making a positive impact on the community yeah and then he was also and then the purpose these this this generation said a purpose driven my daughter is 21 and i was talking to her the other day and i said which and she's crystal clear on yeah. where she wants to go crystal clear at that age i think when we grew up because we're roughly the same age i am slightly younger than you but we are roughly the same age. <laughs> you you called me young man earlier scott and i was you just being nice. I was being nice 
building that rapport and trust. And it was, we were always asked what we wanted to do. We were always asked about outcomes, weren't we? When we were, you know, what do you want to do? What, what's, what job do you want? So how much, where, where do you want your house? And sort of pay that to us. I think yeah. kids now and growing up, is what's important to you? I think those are the types of questions they're getting asked at a much younger age than we ever were. Yeah, I think it's important. And there's, there's one of the facts I'd like to bring in. I mean, Richard Lanyard, PhD on the subject on happiness, right? And, and you know, you've, without what is life without purpose? Seriously. And I think that if you can get to purpose, some people get to the very last days of their life here and they still have never reached happiness or their purpose so i think look, the younger generation the gen x that you talk about they're incredibly switched on to this and that's why i said there's learnings from gen x to um gen y right and z because we've got we we can learn from this generation and it's it's up to us to be open and transparent and to listen to this generation and to make change that accommodates their wishes and creates an environment where everybody can work together this is incredibly important and as i said that's why i believe that you know your daughter's 21 but generally that's the consensus that i'm hearing from millennials baby boomers and gen x that you know this is what their requirements are you know they, they it's not a case of you might have values but you need to share my values as a person if you want me to work for you and that's a very different scenario than when I started work back in the bank back in the 80s. You know, I worked for a big American bank. Yeah, we were, we were certainly taught about the vision and the mission and the values. But it was a case that we had to be flexible enough to adopt to that, to that culture and to that level of understanding. Culture is, culture is going to be a big part of purpose. Culture is going to be part of people and culture. And culture is definitely going to, I believe, will take a, a vertical across the whole business uh, you know right across operations finance sales and marketing um, and, and hr etc i think it's really important the culture piece and more importantly that we adopt you know the the younger generation and and we deliver more importantly to the younger generation and i think that if you can engage emotionally engage these people then great things can happen and I think, yeah, they've got stuff to learn from the older generations and it's created. And the only way you can create that environment as, and again, we'll go back down to it again is there's lots of work on like psychological safety and the need to have those conversations where people feel free Absolutely. to express themselves. And but as you say, the basis of that is do I feel safe? And the basis of do I feel safe is do I trust? But you also hit on another word, fear. And the bottom line with this is there's been an awful lot of people living in fear through this COVID experience and the age of compassion that I talk about is that leadership has had to engage with these people to get them psychologically psychologically uh, mentored you know and corporate and and board and senior management has have need to spend a lot more time with their people just to get them engaged in the business than they've ever had to do ever but i believe that by investing this time in people and investing time in culture and investing time in purpose and trust is this era and will be the generation that will take businesses governments and general people at home 
forward in everything they do. So I, I do think we we were in a and I'm not too I'm not good to, to talk too much about politics, but I think we're definitely in a position in politics and information where there's a massive amount of distrust from depending on which side of the divide. Yeah, yeah. No. As I said, we, we don't want to go down that road, but I I agree a hundred percent with you. There's a lot of distrust. And you know, businesses have always looked at government as 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 you know as a model of of how we should behave, how we should respect, how we should operate. I think now whether whether you like it or not businesses have now not to take that command and they've got to take stewardship and they've got to now devise best working practices policies regulation and compliance to to support their own unity in what they're doing and i think that you know irrespective of how government changes in the foreseeable future business has got a real opportunity right now to to do this and to do it the right way so there's an opportunity for business leaders to lead yeah absolutely and not and not and not wait It'll be right i agree i agree and that's why i said earlier you know we do a 360 of this discussion really but you know leaders do need to step up this is the time that leadership needs to step up and embrace this you know? I think it's the time where people like in hr and lnd can step up and say this is how we can we can we can sustain and I'll, I'll go back to that consistency again we can help drive build and sustain and I, I don't even go past sustain because there's a guy from Exchange called John Burkoff, and he says he doesn't like the word sustainability. Yeah. Because sustainability is, is just doing less harm. He says, I want the word flourish in there. Interesting. That's a very interesting, very interesting. So it's good. If we're talking about sustain. No, I don't want to sustain. I want to improve. I want to flourish. Yeah, I like that. I, like that. I do like that concept. Let's not look at sustainability. Let's look at flourishment, which is that continual growth and development and ongoing stuff well jeff it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and we are, we were on this before the call this is about our third call and it's uh we just go around the same sorts of jobs for hours, and hours. <laughs> we just decided to, to record a segment of it <laughs> but it's an absolute pleasure thank you very much for your time and yes indeed so if anyone has any questions drop us an email or contact jeff. yeah i mean my, my final my final statement on this is i think responding strategically to to the current economic event, COVID, you know, like, that we have seen, I think is going to require a high degree of, of you know, creativity in, in business. And look, I think we've, we've discussed trust there and, and many other subjects, I think, to quite a, a, an interesting level. But I think it's, it's going to be open. It's, it's, it has to be an openness uh, to challenging the assumptions from old, and a willingness. I think all of this is needs and requires a willingness to look beyond the obvious, to addressing you know the threats of what we have described in here, but more importantly, to embrace new opportunities. And I see those new opportunities coming through purpose and also trust. Yeah, I like that. The I wouldn't use the word challenge myself. I would use question. The question is less, but yeah. to question the assumptions in which we've currently built our business on. And be willing to question those in a constructive way to look, is there a better way of doing this? That's good. Definitely. Okay. Well, Very good, Scott. It goes all the way about Daniel Pink, but we can go somewhere else with it. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love his quote, isn't it? it the is. assumptions that business are built on. 
uh, it got nothing to do with the, the science or is it there's, there's something around science and business and i can't remember exactly but my favorite quote is from the book you actually just picked up by stephen covey and it talks about the relationship and he says trust is the glue of life it's the most essential ingredient in effective communication it's the foundational principle that holds all relationships so i think you know that that's one of my favorite quotes from the book you just you just showed me earlier so. well i think that's a great quote to finish on since we were talking about absolutely, okay. absolutely. thank you very much for your time pleasure scott pleasure pleasure to be here